It's not easy traveling through this life, but we don't have to do it alone. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. There are many wonderful promises to cling to in troubling times like these all found in the scriptures. And one of them is the promised help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that when he left, he would send the Holy Spirit. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll take a look at the ministry of the Spirit and it is amazing. Let me tell you, he wants to teach you and bring things to remembrance at just the right time. For starters, here to emphasize that as we begin is Pastor Ed Taylor. He's in John 14. The work of the Holy Spirit is, is of importance, of utmost importance in our lives. And if you're taking notes, you need to jot this down. If you're not taking notes, you need to start taking notes. It's very important to take notes because what you write down helps you to remember. I don't know what the number is, 50% more, 100% more. Whatever you write down, it helps your mind remember it more. So you want to learn to take notes. We'll get to that in a second. But the primary ministry, listen, this is very important. Write it down. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is teaching. The primary work of the Holy Spirit on the earth today is teaching. Teaching unbelievers their need for a Savior and teaching believers their need to follow and obey Jesus Christ. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Why do I emphasize it so much here? Because we live in an age where there's a whole segment of the church that believes and teaches that the primary emphasis of the Holy Spirit is something far different than teaching. And so they, have envi- they create environments of craziness and wackiness in their services, loudness, and, and like the church in Corinth, you know, everybody exercising their gift at the same time, and everybody hyping up, and everybody excited. And there, won't, there, there, there is never a few months that goes by that somebody will come up after a service. And you can see in the time that we reserve for our weekend services that it's a very relatively quiet time and a time of teaching. Why? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you that that's his primary ministry. So people will come up on occasion and say, you know, Pastor Ed, I don't think we're going to come. I don't think this is a church for us because we just didn't sense the Holy Spirit here. What? What do you mean by that? Well, there wasn't, you know, and they just start to describe what they're used to. And I said, if they give me the chance, I say, man, the Holy Spirit was very heavy here. Did you see that person crying over there? Did you see that person joining? Did you see that marriage getting uh, resolved? Do you see that person getting saved? Do you see that light? I mean, there, there's a thousand things the Holy Spirit's doing right now. Why? Because his primary ministry is teaching. And so we place a great emphasis in the Word of God to teach you the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We want you to know the Word of God. We want you to know that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is a teacher, which is another very important truth for you to grasp. If you ever learn anything in a Bible study, it was because the Holy Spirit taught it to you, not me. There is the place in the scriptures of the gifting of pastor-teacher. 
And I believe that God, according to the scriptures, has given to the church pastors and teachers, and that the person in the pulpit should be gifted with the gift of pastor-teacher, period. However, if you've learned anything in your time here at Calvary, it's because the Holy Spirit taught it to you, not me. That God may use me in the giftings that he's given to me, but I'm not to take any of the credit for it because I'm not really the teacher. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm cooperating with the Spirit, and the Spirit is using me to teach you. The Spirit of God has taught you things. He's the one that's going to lead you into all truth. He's the one that's going to teach you. I'm the one prayerfully is going to stay usable and humble before him. I'm going to stay repentant. I'm going to study to show myself approved. I'm going to present myself to him as a living sacrifice to be the best vessel that I possibly can. But if any credit's to be given, it's to be given to God and not man. And this will help you with all your relationship with spiritual leaders and and pastors are no better than anyone else. We're not any different than you. We walk and have a life like you. We, We live unto the Lord. We're frail with weaknesses and problems and things that need to be taken to the Lord. So when you, you have to be careful because this will help you from worshiping a man. You don't want to worship men. You want to worship the Lord. And if you've ever learned anything, it's every time you learn something, it's from the Lord. He's like, he gets all the credit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You could say this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making this come alive for me. Thank you. Now, that's why you can open up. That's why in the morning, without any pastor teacher in your house, you can get up in the morning, make your coffee, open your Bible, spend five minutes reading the scripture, get some crazy, amazing revelation from God right there in your kitchen table. Why? Because the Holy Spirit taught you. Just like he teaches you here. And just like he's going to teach you at work and teach you on I-25, he's going to teach you. He teaches I-25 pretty interesting ways, doesn't he? (laughs) A lot of things that you learn, but it's true for us. The Holy Spirit not only teaches us, but secondly, notice, he brings things to our remembrance. That's why we emphasize here for you to take notes. I I can't emphasize it more. To bring your own Bible and write in it, circle things, Take notes however you take notes. Write things down because the things you write down, you're going to have a better chance of remembering and you're going to engage with the Bible study. You're going to be wanting to know that that's interesting. You know, and there's no set way to take notes. There's no one way to do it. Whatever helps you the most. That, that's, that is, by the way, one reason why we don't, I don't prepare little note sheets for you in the bulletin so you could just fill in the blanks. Because a lot of times people are wondering, I came from a church that did that. Why don't you guys do that? Well, I made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to do that. We do have note sheets for you, but they're blank. There's nothing on them. Because I don't want to train you when you're listening to a Bible study to listen for five little words in a 45-minute Bible study or some catchy phrase. You know, it's easy to do. It would be easy to go through my notes and put five little catchy phrases and alliterate it whether all A words or B words. It's possible to do that. But I don't want to train you as your pastor, your friend, to learn how to take notes during a Bible study expecting to hear five words. Maybe you got all five words, but totally missed what the Holy Spirit wanted to teach you. And you got the five words, and you got the notebook, and you got it all through, but the Holy Spirit had a word for you, but you weren't listening you weren't listening. It's amazing because I shared this, uh, this last night and I shared it this morning. And there was a pastor here visiting from another state, from another church. Uh, and he was sharing and he came up and he said, hey, thanks for the word. Thanks. And what you said about notes really challenged me. 
And I said, well, I didn't mean to be judgmental. If you, no, I didn't take it that way at all. Because I know pastors can do whatever they want to do. I don't sit in judgment. I only get an answer to the Lord for what I do, not anyone else. So I'm not in judgment. If that's, if that's what you want to do, praise the Lord. I just tell you my conviction and what, what I'm going. And so he shared it. And, and after that, he says, you know, I'm just going to really pray about changing the way I do things. Because people are coming up to him saying, yeah, we're trying to guess the words before you even say them. And we're trying to guess what letter and, you know, different things that they're doing, which is fine. But if you only have 40 minutes to present yourself to the Lord, I want you to tune your ears to hear that the Bible says in, in Revelation uh, over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear what? What the Spirit is saying to the church. That's what I want for you to do. And when you take notes, it will help you remember. When you memorize scriptures and you hide them in your heart, you are giving ammunition to the Holy Spirit. And when you're taking notes and learning in Bible study, listening to Bible studies on Grace FM, listening to CDs, listening to MP3s, when you do all that, you are depositing the truth and learning in your heart where the Holy Spirit's teaching you so that at the right time, he'll bring to your remembrance the things that you were taught. But if you don't do, if you don't present yourself to the Lord, you're not taking it all in, there's not much to be brought back to remembrance. But you can trust the Holy Spirit to bring things to remembrance. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're asking you questions and as you're giving in the answer, you're like, where did that come from? I don't even know where that answer came from. The Holy Spirit gave it to you. He brought to your remembrance something you learned sometime and gave him the right. It happens to me all the time. It happens to me on the radio all the time. People are calling questions and great, interesting angles. I've never thought of it before. I mean, there'll be even times where the Holy Spirit doesn't bring into remembrance, and I go, that's a great question. I'm going to have to look that up. I've never heard that before in my life. But many times as I'm listening, the Lord gives me an answer, just gives me a word, gives, and just like, oh, that's what I was, I'm like, man, that's a, that was an amazing thing. Just thank you, Lord, for revealing that to me. But more often than not, I have to say, and you young people, you're like going to blow me off, but don't, don't blow me off so quick. But as you get older, one of the first things to go is your memory. And let me tell you something. That is both humbling and frustrating at the same time. It's one of the most frustrating things I have to deal with. I mean, literally, I will think of something on my couch, walk up, what, the 10 stairs to my room, and by the time I get to the room, I'm standing there thinking, what did I come up here for? Do you know how mad that makes me? I'm just like, what is wrong with me? And then I'll walk back down, and then I'll remember, and I'll come back up, and I'm like, oh, now I've walked 10 stairs for no reason. You know, it's like, Argh! But also when I'm, there'll be times when people come up and ask a question, and I, I know the answer. Like, I, I kind of know it, and I have my Bible here, and I remember, you know, that's Scripture. It's a Scripture. And I, so I share the Scripture, but I forgot the address. And so somebody goes, well, where is it? And I go, well, in my mind, I'm thinking it's on the left-hand side, up on the corner. And so I'm flipping through, and I, it's in Luke. And so I'm flipping through, and then I'm just, like, standing there, and I got a little bit of pressure because there's, there's a time constraint. I don't have a lot of time. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I can't find it for you. Just email me. Email me and I'll send it to you. Don't, because I got a computer and I can find it in seconds on my computer. And, uh, and so I, and as they're walking away, it's right there on the page that was open all the time. And I go, wait. And I was like, no, just let them go. I'll email them. I mean, that's so frustrating. I should be able to remember these things. But even as my mind is failing, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring things to my remembrance. I can trust him not my mind. I mean, what a gift. We'll see many things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, but you can see now, if you're just trusting in your memory, you are absolutely walking in the flesh. 
you need to learn to trust in the Holy Spirit as well as your memory. Because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very attuned to this, and I do act different exercises and things to help my mind stay on edge. I don't want to lose it. I got these little games and things that I'm working on my mind, and I do, I read a lot on it so I can just keep my mind active. And, and I was reading an article recently. It's amazing that they, they, that people study this stuff. So I was reading an article that, that when you walk through a door, you have a much more of a tendency walking through a door to forget what you thought before you walk through that door. Isn't that interesting? It's like you have a mind right now, but if you walk out that door, you have a chance of forgetting it just because you walked through the door. And you're like, what is that all about? Well, this is what they said. They said that in our minds and our attempts to memorize things, we are so compartmentalized and we associate memories with locations that when you walk through a door, it sends a signal to your head to immediately forget what was in the room before you and remember what in the room in front of you. Isn't that crazy? Most of you won't remember that illustration anyway, so. But it makes sense. I don't know if it's true or not, but now when I walk through doors, I've got this sense in my mind, Lord, I just, I, and, and it's really my relationship with the Lord, I just don't want this door to make me forget anything. Because if that's going to be a hindrance to me being a better servant, I don't want it to be a hindrance. But all over that, all above all of that, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will bring to my remembrance. And I trust him on that. And he does so often. He's the author. He's the teacher. He's the one that reminds us of things. And in verse 27, he also is the one that gives us peace. Jesus is leaving peace, not like the world. Jesus is teaching us there's at least two types of peace. There's the peace from God, and there's the peace of the world. And I understand when the world, the system that we're in, uses the phrase peace, they basically mean an absence of war. That's basically what it means. We don't have any conflict. We don't like each other. We hate each other's guts, but we're not fighting. That's peace. And a lot of times we, subs- we, we settle for a substandard peace, the way the world taught us. That, oh, everything's fine. Well, what do you mean everything's fine? Well, we're not fighting anymore. You know, kind of like your kids are boxing in the back, punching in the jaw, and you go, stop it. So you guys okay? Yeah, we're all fine. They still want to punch each other in the jaw, but at least they're not doing it anymore. That's kind of a worldly peace, which really as a parent, what do you want? You don't want just them stopping hitting each other. You want them to love each other. You want, and in some cases, you want what you didn't have growing up with your siblings. You want them to express love. You don't want them to want to punch each other in the jaw. You want godly peace. You want a peace that God gives. Here, the peace that Jesus says he's leaving with them is not just the absence of war, because that is a good partial definition. But the type of peace that Jesus has, the peace that Jesus leaves to us, is that even though there's conflict and difficulty, we have a settled confidence that God is sovereign over our lives. How can you not rest at peace when you know God is in control of your life? That no matter what comes to you, he's going to work all things together for the good. That even with conflict or not conflict, that you can have a settled peace. That, that means you can be in conflict and still have the peace of God. You know, the Bible promises not only the peace of God, but the peace with God. And that's what you're looking for in our human relationships, right? You're loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, loving your neighbor as yourself. That peace with God is the same type of peace you want with one another, the peace that Jesus gives to us, a settled confidence. But unbelievers can't have this. They have no confidence. They don't know what's going on in their life. They don't know what this means. They feel like the whole world is against them. But for the peace that God gives us, 
when we have those feelings, we can fall back on, I have a settled confidence that God is going to use this in my life, that he is sovereign over my life. And if I love him, I obey him, and God will bless the obedience no matter what happens around me. Let's finish up. i got a few more points that I believe the Lord would have us to share. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. These are important words, especially those that grieve and mourn. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, but really it should be a point of rejoicing that I'll be with my Father. For him, it's fulfilling prophecy. The plan of God is happening exactly as God planned, not as they planned. And he says, if you really believe that, you would rejoice. But I also see that in a very real way to those that grieve and mourn. And if you're not now, you will soon. At the loss of a loved one that have gone before us to be with the Lord. This is a very real word to us. To help us and prepare us for such great loss. You know, we lose a loved one. We lose a mom, a dad. We lose a grandma, a grandpa. Unfortunately, some have lost children, maybe even grandchildren. We weep because of our loss. We weep because we, our sister passed or our our brother passed and they moved on into the presence of the Lord. We're sad. We weep because we miss the relationship. We miss the potential of what could have happened. We miss the beautiful input in our lives and it left a gaping hole, just like the death of Jesus is going to leave a gaping hole in the disciples' lives. They're going to respond to it just like you and I would. It is going to be painful for them for a short season. We know that they don't even fully understand it until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Because in Luke 24, you got those two guys kicking cans. They don't know what's going on, even after Jesus resurrected. So it wasn't just the resurrection of Jesus that brought their eyes open. They needed revelation from the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was preparing them for. And as, as we mourn and as we grieve... We missed the love that we shared. We missed how they accepted us unconditionally. They've added so much to our lives, enhancing our life by their love, by their friendship, but now it's gone, and we sorrow. But the Bible is clear, and I think it's true, that we don't sorrow like those that have no hope. We grieve because we're thinking about ourselves and what we've lost. But when we're thinking of them, we rejoice. They're in the presence of the Lord. They're, they're living what we hope for and what we truly want. They don't have to deal with the craziness of life today. They don't have to sit in a service right now and have to deal with all the difficulties of life as much as we would want them to, but instead they get to sit in the presence of the Lord with all the promises of God fulfilled. And that should bring a little bit of rejoicing into our hearts for them, a little hope to be reunited with them, in the New Living Translation, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I, don't want you, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died, so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. And so often when we face with an untimely death which in a real sense, all death is untimely. We weren't designed for that. But a time, an untimely death, such as a child or an accident or something in younger years than any of us would have expected, we say, what a shame. His whole life was in front of him. What a loss. And yet, if that child or that person, that young person, was walking with Jesus, his whole eternity is in front of him. 
and he has all eternity. And while that doesn't, that doesn't take away the pain in any way whatsoever, it certainly eases it just a little bit. And it is our loss. And that's what Jesus is preparing them for the grieving process. You're going to be really, really hurt. But you should rejoice. It's a good thing that God's will is being fulfilled. Now, a couple more things. He says in verse 30, Now I've told you before it comes, when it does come to pass, you may believe. So everything that we don't know right now, everything that we're trusting him in, when it happens, it will build our faith. But it also will build our faith as we're trusting to him till it happens. He says, I'm not going to talk with you very much because the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. Key this phrase here, the ruler of this world. That's a reference to the devil himself, the ruler of this world. Remember, when Adam and Eve had full control, had been entrusted to him of the Garden of Eden, but by its extension, the world, when they sinned, they gave over authority to the devil. Under God's sovereignty and God's power, the devil now has authority through sin. That's the power. And the devil thinks he owns stuff. You know, he thinks he owns your wrecked marriage. He, the devil's happy that your marriage is messed up because he thinks he owns it. He thinks he's done, the, he's, he's finally hit the final blow and it's over. You know, there's a lot of things the devil thinks. He, he thinks this world belongs to him. He thinks the people in this world belongs to him. He thinks your prodigal kids belong to him. You know, the Bible even describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air. He thinks he owns the airwaves. He thinks it's all his. Which is why when we were stepping by faith into doing radio, that we faced so much spiritual warfare. Because we went after something the devil thinks is his. The airwaves aren't his. They belong to God. And they're to be used for the glory of God. And, and, you know, I think of something else we did at the same time. We did airwaves and kids when we started the school. You know, the devil thinks he owns your kids. He thinks he's already got it set up. Why? Because the culture teaches them there is no God, teaches them the false teaching of evolution, just tries to fill them with hopelessness. And I think there's a sense where there's a real devil that just sitting around thinking, you know what? I own them. But I'm here to tell you right now that the devil doesn't own your kids, that Jesus Christ came to break that thought, to, to redeem your children, to take back the airwaves. And, and you're looking at hopelessness right now. You think the devil just looks at you and goes, I own you. Well, let me tell you something. You love God. You begin to obey God. The power of Satan has no power over you. you your marriage can be saved. Your prodigals can come back. Your own personal struggles and addictions can be broken. You know, people in addiction, the devil looks at them, I own that guy. I don't even have to do anything. All I have to do is get him started on drinking, get him started on this legal marijuana, and once he starts, his body takes over, and now he's stuck forever, and it'll end in heroin, and it'll die in a curb somewhere. And the devil's like, I own them. But the minute that Jesus Christ breaks in and breaks that addiction, it's proof that the devil owns nothing. He's a squatter on this planet, and he doesn't belong. And you can submit yourself to him. And claim that which the devil thinks is his. You can claim your family back. You can claim your kids back. You can claim your sobriety back. It's all yours by faith. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at edtaylor.org. Thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. 
Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls. Would you like to experience freedom from the regret, hurt, or fear that's weighing on you and instead find a life of relief, joy, and hope in Jesus? Allow Scott Sauls to point the way, and by the end of the book, you'll see how to become the beautiful person God wants you to be. Request it today when you give $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Ordering is super easy through our online store as well at calvaryco.store. If you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and you're not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at aboundinggraceradio.com. Register for our upcoming ministry conference, Refresh, at calvaryco.church and discover the heartbeat of ministry, the why. It's all set for October 6th through the 8th at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. We'd love to have you join us. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll go on to talk about the baptism of the Spirit as Pastor Ed Taylor continues through John with special emphasis on the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 